I always have to try to tease Joe a little bit. Joe's been an amazing pastor that has spoken here for a number of years. We've been blessed to have him. He's been married. Last year, he celebrated his 40th anniversary. Very impressive. Has three kids, eight grandkids, and he still doesn't think he's old. <laughs> God blessed him with an amazing education at Dallas Theological Seminary back in 1987. Uh, he you still teach, right, at Missouri Baptist? Still teaches at Missouri Baptist University. That's a privilege. And he's been the pap pastor at First Baptist St. Peter's for 25 years. Give it up. For Pastor Joe Braden. Well, it's good to be back with the folks at Liberty Baptist Church. And, uh, I, okay, you don't have to laugh at my jokes every year. I just, I tell that same joke. And uh, by, by now I know you're rolling your eyes getting old with that. So, but, but thank you for putting up with me just the same. So it's good to see you guys uh, and say hello to you guys again at, it's good to see so familiar faces from here. It's good to see Mike and Margaret. We're old friends. They're old, and I'm a friend. So, but that works, works out, works out fine. And <laughs> yeah, we. It's been so long ago we met. I was tall, dark, and handsome when we met. And uh, some things have changed uh, on my part. Um, and uh, but nevertheless, um, Diane sends her regrets somehow or another in the. In the uh, uh, kind of a last moment, um, uh, our oldest son and his wife asked if we would uh, watch our five grandkids that we have from them uh, last night. And so she's probably commandeered and tied up right now at the, at the moment. So it wasn't looking good in my left. So, <laughs> yeah, she's, but this afternoon, I want to speak to us uh, on the notion of maintaining Christian unity. I know that's the very theme of this weekend, and I know that's a theme that you guys have been um, for the last almost year or however long, for quite some time, you guys have been thinking about that and reading about that and praying about that. And so I hope that um, uh, my time with you guys uh, can, uh, can uh, help um, and assist as you guys continue to seek the Lord uh, in that way and honor him in such a way. And so two things I want us to think about this afternoon. First of all, I, I, I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about the source of living in unity. And, um, and there's two subpoints to that one. And then I want us to think about uh, the, a strategy uh, for living in unity. I'm probably going to, I'm going to spend more time, at least I hope to spend more time on that point, that really reflects the title, Maintaining Christian Unity. And so let, let's just hope I quasi have my act together and I can manage this right so that I spend less time on the first point and more time on the second point. But I get going and, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll see. So um, first of all, the first thing I'd want to say is I'd want to clarify that um, uh, I, 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 we don't create uh, unity. Um, and, and so that's why I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about the source of living in unity. I, I'm going to make a careful distinction between what I'm going to call the source or grounds of our unity, how unity is created 
in, in our midst, and, and yet how we can uh, deploy strategies or apply means to maintain um, the unity that has been obtained uh, and given uh, to us. We ought to see unity as just that. It's been given to us. It's one of the precious gifts that Jesus has purchased for his, his people. Um, and so as we think about that source of Christianity, the first thing I want to clarify, and, and it, it may be upsetting to hear this, and yet we'll resolve it before we're done, hopefully, but um, the, the grounds of our unity is, is not merely in a doctrinal statement. The grounds of our unity is not simply in um, the rules uh, of our living that we agree upon. No, the grounds of our unity is a person. So objectively, when we think about the, the, the source of our unity or the grounds of our unity, we are, we are first running to Jesus, who he is and what he has done. Ephesians 2, for instance, gives us some um, help in thinking about uh, who or what is the grounds or the source of our unity. In Ephesians chapter 2, um, the whole chapter is, is about the application in our lives pertaining to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. In, in verses 1 through 10, uh, what difference has Jesus made in our lives individually? Well, he has brought us from a state of death and condemnation to a state of life and uh, acceptance. Uh, that, that, th- that because of what Jesus has done, we are now united to Christ and therefore we are adopted by, by God. We are now his well-loved children and we are now indwelt by the Spirit of God. And, and yet when he transitions from one through 10 to 11 through 20, he's talking about the difference and the application of what, who Christ is and what he has done for our lives together uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So talking about the, the corporate difference that the gospel has made. And, and, and the quick and skinny of it is, is, and you could just look at, for instance, Uh, Verse um, uh, 19 is the quickest way to start this. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do you see the before and after shot here? Corporately, what has this done to us? The, The gospel has taken us from being strangers and aliens to being fellow citizens and really members of the same family. That's the power of the gospel. How did he do that? Look at verses 14 through 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, in other words, by what he's done in his life and death and resurrection, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. In other words, another way of looking at it is what Paul is saying here is that if you are united to Christ and I am united to Christ, then together we are united to Christ. Together. We are united to each other 
in Christ. That, that's the grounds or the source of... We, we don't do that. Jesus has done that. We don't make our unity. We can't fake or fabricate a unity in, uh, in that sense. Jesus makes our unity. Thus, unity, life together, is in fact a gospel issue. We display the power of the gospel by how cognizant we are over the fact that Jesus has taken aliens and strangers and he has made us fellow citizens and members of the same family. So that in a crucial aspect of our witness to this broader community, to a, to a culture that uh, has that has become experts in tribalism and territorialism, we, we can promote the power of the gospel in how we can display, look at us, we're a strange lot of creatures, and, and yet the gospel brings us together. Jesus takes the two and makes us one. That's the source or the grounds of our unity. Second sub-point under the source of that unity, well then how do we subjectively live in that unity that Jesus has purchased for us? Well, uh, since our unity is in Christ, uh, our, our devotion to Christ, both individually and corporately, uh, cannot be minimized. When Paul makes the transition in Ephesians chapter 4 from the doctrinal section to the practical section, he, he says there in chapter 4, uh, verse 1, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. And isn't it, he's about to say some things about unity, but isn't it interesting his own self-concept, how he sees himself, how, how, how that plays into uh, the participation in the life of the unity of the body of Christ. If, if, if he would have come out and said, now, I therefore as a big shot for the Lord. I therefore as a man who's got a whole bunch of rights and privileges in the Lord. Now he does, but, but that, that, that's not his fixation. He's, he says, I, I, I come to you as a prisoner for the Lord. Uh, uh, and I urge you, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. See the transition he's making? And, and how does he root that trans, that that? That, that transition, he, he calls us back to who are we in Christ and how are we to walk in a way that is, he says they're worthy, but he means worthy in the sense of in harmony with or in synchronization with. Just live consistently with the calling to which you've been called. We've been called to belong to Jesus and so just practice what it looks like to, to live as though you belong to Jesus. While Christ is the grounds of our unity, how we begin to experience and walk in that unity is through our devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle John helps us think about this. The, the book of 1 John was, was written uh, in, 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 in part to help uh, unpack what it looks like to live together in fellowship. 
And he says there in verse 1 of chapter 1, he says, uh, that which, in 1 John, that which is from the beginning, which you have heard and which you have seen, which we have seen with our eyes and which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the word that was manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. And why? Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. So the Apostle John is writing, he says, I want to live in fellowship with you guys. And yet he bumps it out and says, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So I want to live in fellowship with you guys, even as you and I both are to live in fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. And yet, so, so he, what he's saying is that there's, there's no mechanical unity here. There's a spiritual unity. In other words, as you walk with Jesus, as you walk in fellowship with Jesus, and as I walk in fellowship with Jesus, we're on to something. You and I can therefore have a true grounds and source of living in unity with each other. So we're talking about a, a, a spiritual and uh, uh, unity, and yet, as, as, as John will say here in the verses I just read, as he will make the case throughout the book of 1 John, um, uh, that, 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 that this devotion to Jesus is connected to the proclamation of the truth concerning Jesus. He'll say later in chapter 2, I believe, that they went out from us for they were not a part of us. For if they had been a part of us, they would have remained with us. And I think in that particular context, he's talking about some really abhorrent false teachers that were teaching things that were contrary to the basic essential doctrines concerning the gospel. They were denying some important things about Jesus Christ. And so you can't fake your way through that kind of unity. And so so as sure as John writes so that he would live in fellowship with his readers, his readers would live in fellowship with him, and and together they would live in fellowship with God, that is predicated upon uh, something pertaining to the truth. Or listen to how, uh, from another angle, how Paul expresses this in Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 11. He says in verse 1, I wish you would bear with me in, in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Jesus. Words, see, see, we're talking about devotion to Jesus here. And Paul is concerned that you guys may be losing your devotion to Jesus. And he says, um, but I am afraid that as the, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And then notice what's next here. How, how that devotion to Jesus could be uh, distorted. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, you see, we're talking about a doctrinal matter here. If someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one that you accepted, you put up with it ready enough. 
There's, 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 well, well, also on the one hand, while our unity is spiritually oriented, uh, that does not mean that that's apart from the, the very basic truths and doctrines of the Scripture. The, 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 our devotion to Jesus is tethered to knowing the right things about Jesus, accepting the right spirit, uh, and believing in the truths of the right gospel. You, you, you take another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel, and you, you don't have true devotion to Jesus. Without true devotion to Jesus, we, we won't be able to experience the source of our unity that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, then now here's a, an abrupt transition to the second main point, a strategy for living in unity. And this is really the section that I want us to think about that pertains to how you and I maintain or guard or live in unity. This is not us making or creating unity. It's us maintaining, keeping in step with, if you would, the unity that has been purchased for us. And there's two sub-points that I want to make. I'm going to try to spend less time on the first sub-point and spend more time on the second sub-point. Well, so let's see how I'm doing. Am I, am I doing good so far? I mean, this is, this is one o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Is, do you guys need? Do you guys need anything? Can I get you anything? Uh, yeah. Uh, it, uh, do I need to like get a service of coffee going through here? Or is, are we good? Are we good? All right. So you guys, you guys probably didn't eat good food, and now you're going to get um, tired on me here. So don't make me come down there and wake you up. Um, so first. First thing, a strategy for living in unity requires, first of all, an adherence to essential doctrines and practices. Secondly, and this is actually the naughtier of the two points here, it requires an acceptance toward each other, implied here, an acceptance in non-essential doctrines and practices. And uh, I hope to spend more time on that, but we'll see how long it takes me to get to this first one. Or, to put it this way, a strategy for living in unity, it it, it consists of two things. Knowing that there's some things are non-negotiables. And knowing that there are other things that are gotta let goables. Now, and I don't mean that you've got to let go of your convictions about them. I just mean you've got to let go of how you're going to force somebody else on that. Right? That's what I mean by that. We can, uh, in other words, there's some, some things, some doctrines and practices that are, that are such an essential comp- component of Orthodox Christianity, such a, such a, a, a component of the, of the emergence of, of gospel purity in the Protestant Reformation that, that we double down on some things, and yet, and yet on other things we back down on. And we... The hard thing is the discernment and the, the, the deciphering of now which category is this? Is this a double down or a back down? Is this a non-negotiable or is this a, let, a gotta let goable? On the one hand, we have the, we can't we can't experience unity without these things, and we must 
experience unity in spite of these things. There's some things that um, if you don't coalesce around these things, you are diminishing the power of the gospel. There are other things that if you can't come together in spite of these things, you are diminishing the power of the gospel. So in both cases, do you see what the prime is? The prime is how do we come together and display the beauty, the glory, the power, the majesty of the gospel? First, then, we are going to adhere to some essential doctrines and practices. Out of, this, out of the blocks in Acts chapter 2, when, when, the, when the apostles start preaching the, the gospel and 3,000 people were added to the church that day, the very next statement is when they came together, uh, the first thing that was, that was said that they devoted themselves to was the apostles' doctrine. There, there is a body of truth that is absolutely essential to grasp the difference between um, biblical Christianity and everything else, even subcomponents uh, of, of Christianity. And then, I don't know if you are, are aware of, of, of what's going on, but there's a whole fresh movement of, of what's known as progressive Christianity. The only problem with progressive Christianity, it's the, it's the very same thing that, that uh, J. Gresham Machen talked about in the early part of the 20th century. The only problem in his case, it was called liberal Christianity. The only problem with liberal Christianity was that it wasn't Christianity. The only problem with progressive Christianity is it ain't Christianity because it denies essential core truths and doctrines pertaining to the, the gospel. And that, that for, for us to be faithful to the Lord and to be unified in the gospel, then, then there's some things that um, we're not going to negotiate, that we're not going to back down. We can't have unity without these essential Doctrines and practices. Jude chapter 3, Jude writes, I was so, I was so eager to, to come and share with you something of the common salvation, but I found it necessary to write to you to contend for the faith. Now the word faith there in that context is not the act of believing per se, but the word faith in that context is really a body of teaching, a body of doctrine. So he's, because people were messing with that body of doctrine and, and Jude says, I, I got to write about this. I got to call this out because these are the non-negotiables that we can't back down on. Um, and, and so he writes. Now, I would just add, uh, we should keep the same attitude of Jude. We should always be eager to talk about the common salvation we have. And when necessary, we should be faithful to contend for the faith. We, 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 shouldn't, uh, and, and we shouldn't get the two um, descriptors backwards. We, we, we shouldn't find it. Um, we shouldn't be eager, eager to contend for the faith. And, and yet we should be faithful when ready to contend for the faith. And of course, we, there's a difference between contending and being contentious. As Paul would said in Ephesians 4, as a prisoner for the Lord, uh, with all humility and gentleness and patience. So even those with whom we disagree on, even in matters of, 
of essential doctrines and practices. Our demeanor should be reflective of what it consists of to be humble and gentle and patient. Um, now, how would we triage? How would, triage? How would we decipher? Well, which is one of these essential doctrines and uh, that that we're not going to let go of, that we're going to double down on, and which of these is um, a, a, a teaching of the scripture or or a, a, an opinion from the culture that? You know what? We're we're just going to back down. We're going to we're going to let go of that one. Um, and I don't know that I have a flawless answer for you. Uh, although I, I do think that we're um, two thousand years into the history of the church, we we shouldn't be blind to historic Orthodox Christianity. Um, by the time you think that you've figured out a newfangled idea, uh, into, uh, it, it, we're so late in the game. I'd be honest with you. I hate to pop your bubble, but it probably ain't a good idea. Just saying, you know, uh, unless there happens to be a fourth member of the Trinity and you're it, um, you know, then I'd, I'd say your new ideal, if it doesn't, it doesn't flow in sync with uh, Orthodox Christianity, with uh, the, the doctrines reemerged in the Protestant Reformation, then go slow on that one, brother. Uh, you know, you just need to. But, but I would say the things we need to coalesce around are the things that are in nearest proximity to the gospel. Some of the doctrines of the Bible explicitly pertain to the gospel. Um, uh, and um, so when we, when we think about um, the issues that can, concerning the, the person and work of Christ. I, I have a list of items here, and I'll give this list um, to uh, Pastor Bond, and, and uh, if he finds it helpful to pass on to you guys, then, then, uh, then, then it, he'll, he'll do that. But uh, maybe just some things um, that are um, uh, very um, pertinent to the gospel, some doctrines. So the, the virgin birth and the incarnation, that he is fully God and fully man, the, the sinless perfect life of Christ, the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, the bodily return of Jesus, the, the, the triune one God, three persons uh, of the Trinity, the, the existence and attributes of God, the, the, the person uh, uh, and, and, uh, of God, Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, these, are, these are just, you know, we have to lean into these and to understand these more and more but because these help us to maintain the unity as we coalesce, coalesce around around these or even the application of 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 the gospel pertaining like how is it that sinful people are able to live in a right relationship with a holy God. The doctrine of justification, in other words. Uh, when you go play fast and loose and funky with the doctrine of justification, that, 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 is, that is a doctrine that is extremely pertinent to the gospel. There are some that are, that are maybe not in the category of pertinent to the gospel, but they are necessary because they protect the gospel. For instance, uh, how we view the scriptures, the inerrancy of the scriptures, the infallibility of the scriptures, the authority of the scriptures, the sufficiency of the scriptures, 
you, you, you take away those things pertaining to our, our beliefs concerning the scripture and you're taking away the doctrines that, 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 are, that serve to protect the gospel because that's the source that even explains the gospel to us in the first place. And there are other doctrines that I, that I think maybe fit into the category of uh, these picture the gospel. Let me give you an example of that because it's very pertinent. A doctrine that um, pictures the gospel is the doctrine of marriage. One woman, one man uh, living together in covenant relationship. We, we, we try to play fast and loose with that doctrine. We try to redefine that. And, um, and that has to be something that, uh, is, that we are keenly interested in because, the, the, because marriage displays the gospel if you read Ephesians 5. So, so, so that's, that's another non-essential, I mean, a very, a very essential, uh, non-negotiable uh, doctrine because it pictures the gospel. Um, uh, and we could, we could talk about that some more. What I want to do now is I want to transition and, uh, and take the rest of the time and really talk about that second sub-point in the second point the acceptance in non-essential essential doctrines and practices. And to accomplish that, um, if you have your Bible, turn to Romans 14 with me. Romans 14 and 15 um, address the matter of how do you and I display the power of the gospel when you and I don't see eye to eye on particular matters. There's some matters that we have to see eye to eye on, but those are that's the that's the first point of the second uh, the first subpoint of the uh, second point the adherence to essential doctrines and practices. But there's a there's a whole ca- other category of stuff in life that is not um, core doctrines that surround the gospel. And honestly, this is the stuff that cooks us as a church. And, and on the one hand, I totally am sympathetic toward, toward it in that we, we live in a culture where it seems like nobody really has any like backbone or convictions about anything. But we have to be careful that we don't overcorrect and have convictions and backbone about things that are out of kilter to the priority of scriptures. So, let me set the stage. Let me read the first couple of verses of, of Romans 14. Um, it says, uh, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. Uh, another, you may have a translation that might say disputable matters. You might have a translation that says something else. So, the, in other words, do you see the subject matter that we're addressing here? We're not talking about adherence to essential doctrines and practices. We, we are talking about non-essential doctrines and practices. And what should our regard for each other be when we differ in these matters of opinions? And uh, so already we begin to see the, the lines drawn. Uh, there's the first guy or gal, uh, and he's the one who is weak in faith. Now, the, the weak in faith is, we're not talking about those who trust in Christ less than the average person does. It, it doesn't, that's not what he means by, by that. 
really what we've now brought into the conversation is um, this matter of our consciences. So I would suggest to you the weak in faith are those um, whose conscience does not enable them to do certain things or binds them to do certain things. On the other hand, look at verse 1 of chapter 15. Those who are strong... So in other words, here's the second character in the church. Um, those who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. The, the strong here, again, are not those who trust Christ more than the average guy. No, they're labeled... Paul chooses the label, the Spirit of God chooses the label strong because the conscience of the strong does permit them to do certain things and or, and or does not bind them to do certain things. In other words, a lot of the collisions that we have in, in displaying the power of the gospel in, in, in a unified way is, is, a, is that we, we probably aren't as aware as, uh, as we need to be as to how the conscience operates. You have a conscience. may not be a very good one. Uh, but you have one. It, it, no, it may be seared. It, 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 it may be... Uh, overly scrupulous, but, but you and I have one. It's a gift from God. We all have one. Our, 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 and our consciences are, are our conscious awareness of right and wrong. It, it, it's a gift from God to, to, to speak to us, to, to, to help us. And, but here's the problem. Consciences um, live in black and white. Consciences don't do gray. It wants everything to be either good or bad, doesn't want a, a middle road. Uh, and, and our consciences don't natively know how to function when my conscience doesn't quite line up with your conscience. Because at that moment, my conscience forgets that it's just that, my conscience, not your conscience. I mean, this is huge. Your conscience is a gift from God. But your conscience is your conscience and not someone else's conscience. So I think that's what's in play here when he's talking, saying that well, I'm addressing matters that of, of opinions, d- disputable uh, matters. You and I each need to seek to live lives, on the one hand, regulated by our consciences, and yet... Uh, our, uh, because of the fall, uh, uh, no one's conscience innately is conformed to the perfect standard of God's law. So that what that means is my conscience can be stricter on a matter uh, uh, than yours. My conscience can be stricter uh, than, than the very absolute standards of God's word, or my conscience can be looser than yours, and, and, and even therefore looser than the, than the absolute standards of God's word. And so, so while we should on the one hand be extremely careful to not violate our conscience, we should all increasingly seek to calibrate our consciences by God's word. And yet, since we all have differing consciences, 
and since we all have consciences that are, that are still somewhat less than the perfect standard of God's word, do you see why it gets sloppy and messy in our lives with each other? So here in Romans 14 and 15, um, there's, there's, there was a couple, there's a couple of examples of, of what's going on. Uh, one area uh, of difference in the church there at Rome was in, in the area of food and drink. It says there, uh, verse 2, chapter 14, one person believes he may eat anything. Um, and it looks like you guys are in that category. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but... Uh, but it, uh, Did it prick your conscience that you ate too much for lunch? But anyway, uh, uh, one person believes that he may eat anything while the other person eats only vegetables. And later on down, I think in about um, verse uh, 14 or 15, I forget. I, oh, it, um, uh, it, it, it mentions uh, drinking wine as well. So one, one person believes they're free to do that. Another person doesn't believe they do that. So, so the, the conscience of some forbade them from eating meat or drinking wine while the conscience of others permitted them to eat meat and to drink wine. The other area um, uh, is, um, uh, is special, special days. He says there, um, verse 5, one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Some felt like to be faithful to the Lord, you, you should have special days, whether you Christmas or Pentecost Sunday or just, no, it was just what, what, whatever. Or you should still even um, hang on to some of the uh, festivals and special days under the old covenant. Um, uh, some people just, their conscience be like, I, you know, to, be, to honor the Lord, I, I've got I've to pay attention to those days. Other people like, ain't nothing special about those days. They're, they're just days. Um, so, do you see the context for the collision here? Um, and then Paul speaks to that. And the first priority that Paul has for them, because this is the priority that reflects the power of the gospel. The first priority isn't for Paul to step in and straighten it out. In fact, Paul does just very subtly tip his hand and where he stands on this issue. But, but, that, but that's, that's not his focus. His focus is upon on matters of opinion, in areas of disputable matters, that, that, that here is the welcome, that, that here is the marching orders. And he says it in verse 1, as for the one who was weak in faith, welcome him. In other words, hey, strong brother, whose um, conscience says it's okay to eat meat, it's okay to drink wine, it, it's okay to not make a big fuss out of special days. Um, but yet, there's, there's Mr. Fuddy-Duddy over there uh, who, who, who's got a real problem with that. You know? But there again, do you see the problem? I just, I just shot a, a derogatory name at Mr. Fuddy-Duddy over there. And that, that's out of bounds. It doesn't display the power of the gospel. I'm, I am to welcome Mr. Fuddy-Duddy as a brother in Christ. Um, it, it, let, um, verse 3, let, uh, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. So in other words, so you welcome him. 
In fact, do you, do you see three or four times in this passage that the operational principle, because this displays the gospel, is that as Christ has welcomed me into his family, I am to welcome my brother or sister into my family, even though they differ from me on these matters of conscience, on these matters of opinion, on these disputable matters. I, I, I'm, I am to positively welcome them. Negatively, I'm not on the one hand to to despise them. Uh, look, at, look at that guy, so uptight, legalistic. You know, just, uh, you know, just, in other words, we, we, we're not accomplishing unity by, by derogatorily labeling someone who has a different opinion than us on these matters. And, and on the other hand, then the one who's weak in the faith, do not pass judgment on the servant of another. You see that guy over there and he's eating meat or he's drinking wine or he doesn't make no big fuss about special days. You're like, boy, he must not even be a Christian. You're passing judgment upon them. In, 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 in areas, and, in other words, back up, we're not talking about, now look, I believe that Jesus is God and you don't believe Jesus is God and let's just love each other or uh, you, 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 be, you believe um, uh, that adultery is wrong. I believe that adultery is right. No big deal. And we're, not, we're not talking about those categories of issues here. We're not talking about adherence to essential doctrines and practices. We're, we're talking about life together and how we come together and deal with each other in areas that are not essential doctrines and practices. We are to not despise the weak. We are to not pass judgment on the strong. You see, when it comes to disputable matters, the first issue is not who is right or wrong, but how each side can display the unifying power of the gospel. Those who enjoy greater liberty on a matter must not mock or deride their fellow brothers and sisters who differ from them. Those who have conscientious scruples on a matter must not criticize or condemn their fellow Christians who differ from them. Again, not because, not because we've all of a sudden made a flip and now we have no backbone or convictions about truth. No, but because we understand that as we triage truth, these are, these are things way down the list of what we're going to fuss about. Neither side uh, has permission to impose their liberties or scruples on the other. And each side, I think Romans 14 and 15 is telling us, each side can, can be allowed to keep their own position. But neither side is permitted to malign, uh, slander, shun, disassociate, or have ill toward those on the other side in matters of opinions. And I think as we, if we had time to read more on this, each side should realize in the middle of the discrepancy of how we view this differently... Each side is going to give an account to the Lord for how we have lived in a way to honor him as we navigate these disputable matters. The other thing that's mentioned here in chapter 14 and 15, in fact, I uh, just encourage you just to spend more time in this passage, is um, 
Um, and, and I think what, what is stated here is when someone differs from you in, in, in this, these matters of opinion, um, I think what Paul is, is saying is that we should assume that each side, even those who differ from us, are doing what they're doing because they wish to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. He concludes, this is why this is a gospel I- issue, and look at verse 5, 6, and 7 of, of Romans uh, 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony uh, in such a manner with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. Listen, to, look at verse 16. That together, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he brings it back down to reality. Verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So how do we maintain unity? There are some things that are non-negotiables. How do we maintain unity? We decipher those things from the things that are you got to let goables. How do we maintain unity? We understand that there are some things that we don't back down because, of, because that displays the power of the gospel. On the other hand, um, uh, there are some things that we, that we do back down, that we don't double down on, because that in turn displays the power of the gospel. The source of our unity is Jesus. How we experience that is first and foremost our devotion to Jesus. How do we faithfully live with each other in our devotion to Jesus? There's some things we adhere to. And there's some things we accept each other on regardless of our differences. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, even as we've covered a lot of ground, I pray that you would help us to marinate on these things and to meditate on it and and that we would be faithful to you and that our lives, both as individuals, but here this afternoon, our lives together as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we together with one voice might glorify our Savior, Jesus Christ. For we ask this in his name.